If you can turn to Genesis chapter 6. I just want to read um, quite a bit, actually, of chapter 6. Uh, in fact, I'll do the whole, whole of chapter 6. Um, I'll, I'll go down to verse 14 and then just the beginning of chapter 7. And it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, And they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men which were of old, men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. Noah walked with God. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Rooms shalt thou make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. And this is the fashion of which thou shalt make it of. Then we'll go down to verse 22. Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. Chapter 7, verse 1. And the Lord said unto Noah, Come, thou and all thy house, into the ark. For thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Verse 16. And they that went in, went in male and female of all flesh, as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. And the Lord shut him in. Thanks be to God for his word. I think we as a generation, or perhaps the past two, have perhaps lived too long with choice and autonomy and comfort and freedom. We've really not had any constraint placed upon us 
over our generation, individually, but also as a society. We've had it very, very easy. But as the song says, the times are a-changing. Over the past century, we've seen a slow but inexorable demise of of the testimony of God in this country. Except for flashes of brilliance in the Hebrides, and, and in Wales, and at little pockets in between. But overall, we've sacrificed the gospel on personal gain, on affluence and comfort. And the word of God has progressively faded from the landscape and topography of our society and our culture. And it's bizarrely commentators, mainly secular, mainly atheist, some gay, who are commenting on that, who are commenting on the inexorable spread of Islam through the Western heritage in Europe, who are commenting on sexual politics, who are commenting on militant atheism. People like Douglas Murray comes to mind. Occultist Marxist organizations that promulgate racial hatred are being peddled, promoting racial divide, tribalism, division, sexual identity politics in a similar vein. These all are promoting a false morality that forces compliance forces compliance and I think is funneling us as a a society inexorably down a pathway to a a form of totalitarianism. Few there are who recognise that, I think. But I think if you took a cross-section actually in this church, I'm probably preaching to the converted. But few there are who recognise this and even fewer who will speak about it. And it's, it's sad that it's those who do not know Christ who often have the courage to speak up about it. We see expediency promoting union between parties at the expense of truth. We look in politics, and it has always been thus. Think of the Second World War of Italy and Russia and the Germans. Alliances coming together for a common good, to fight a common enemy, only to sink back into partisanship at the end of that alliance. Think of Islam and liberalism. Think of Israel and the UAE. But is that not true also in the church? That we see political expediency creating mixture and union of different parties to create another agenda. We see the church growth movement Churches sucking in social justice, climate change, again, racial politics, things which ought not to be so, for they're not grounded in the church. It's a corruption of the word of God. It's a corruption of the word of God. So as in the world, as in the church, we see mixture and we see fusion, oil and water, mixing when they should not so. 
when we consider what we have read in chapter 6, this mixture, this fusion, a union of opposing parties to create a hybrid is something which is not in line with God's will for his creation. It's not within the character of God. We see a God who is absolutely just and absolutely merciful, but there is no laxity in the law that God has given to us, and yet we have created a hybrid. And the precedent is here in front of us in chapter 6, when men began to multiply when we read in chapter 4 that there were giants in the earth, it's interesting the way it's written almost celebrates this form of hybrid in the same way that in today's society we almost celebrate the concept of transhumanism, of adding something to man to make him better than natural. There were giants in the, in, in the earth, mighty men, men of renown, They had stature, they had reputation, they had currency. These were people who who perhaps had seemed good in man's eyes. It was something added, a mixture of the sacred and the profane together. And yet, in God's eyes, this was an abomination. This should not have been so. This should not have been so. Wickedness is how he describes it. It's a counterfeit. It's man's interpretation of what God had intended. It's nothing new. Jeremiah 5.31 The prophets prophesy falsely and the priests, priests bear rule by their means and my people love to have it so. We want to have things according to our instructions, our design our predilections, our preferences, and not as God intended. Think back to when Cain offered his sacrifice. It was imperfect. It was according to what he felt was appropriate. It was not acceptable to God. And yet from Cain we see Enoch and the city of Enoch that spawns Jabal and Jubal and Tubal-Cain the fathers, if you like, of agriculture and the arts and the crafts, all things which are good. And when we think of, in today's culture, that inheritance, the legacy of, of Cain, if you like, is within, within our culture, within our arts, within our crafts, within our sciences, all things which, in a sense, are good. They've come from man. They're birthed, in a sense, there's an echo of, of the creation within our creative powers. But they have been skewed. They don't come from the line of Abel, necessarily. But isn't it interesting that God speaks of the sacrifice of Abel that he's interested in, not necessarily Abel himself. It's the motivation, it's the heart. That's the secret. It's not the edifices that are built. Look at the Tower of Babel, for instance. So what we have here is a mixture that has always been. And here we are in this day, way beyond the situation there. Spiritually the same, but in terms of creation, far beyond it. It's acceptable to man, but it's not acceptable to God. We're we're quite happy with the finished article. There is a wonderful painting by Caravaggio called The Supper of Emmaus. 
with the perspective, I'm sure you'd know it if you saw it, but Christ is sort of flinging the hands out when they realize who's in the room. And it's a beautiful painting, beautiful. And many people see it as deeply spiritual, yet it was painted by a philandering murderer who had to be thrown out of Rome. It doesn't quite stack up, does it? When we think of the 18th century or, or, or earlier, there was poor hygiene, so what did we do? We just put perfume on ourselves and talc to cover up the stench. Uh, sort of get by in that way. But it doesn't work when there's mixture, when you try to create something that is acceptable to man when it's actually a corruption of what God had intended. And this is what we see in the days of Noah, and this is what we see in our current day. And it's so important to realize what is coming when we go down this pathway. Yet here we have Noah. Noah walked with God. I pray to God that we would be like Noah, walking with God. For when we walk with God, when we walk through his word, when we walk in the light of his Holy Spirit, we walk in union. And when two walk together, you can hear each other. I went for a run with a friend where we live in Scotland and it's got hills and I'm not very good on hills and he's 30 years my junior and we were chatting for quite a bit of the way until the hill appeared (laughs) and then the conversation got pretty distant and in the end I said I can't keep up off you go and actually he had the audacity to not slow down he just went But as I was trying to catch up after him, I thought, isn't that so like our relationship with God? God? When we walk in unison together at the same speed, we communicate. But when there's a distance, when we run ahead, normally it's us who run ahead, isn't it? We start to lose that conversation. But Noah walked with God. And therefore he heard him. He heard his commandments. Shirley Mavention, she stole a bit of my thunder, I'm afraid, because we did hear this amazing sermon, and I can't think of the, uh, of the person, so I will credit to him, because it was a wonderful point that God provides the answer before the problem. And the answer is usually not what we expect it to be, either. But here we have a man who walks with God, and God has clearly said to Noah, this is wickedness before me. And yet it was just normal society. Normal society, men and women going about the business. But God saw impurity. And as we know, the smallest of sin is enough to exclude us from the company of God. The smallest of sin. So we shouldn't get too hung up about the size of our sin. It's just the presence of sin. What was the answer? make the ark of gopher wood. Well, you wouldn't have seen that coming, would you? What is gopher wood? Nobody even knows what gopher wood. There, there are theories, but even that is beautiful in itself. Make the ark of gopher wood. Here is the solution before the problem. But actually the real problem is staring Noah in the face, isn't it? It's the culture of mixture in which he's in of godlessness of sin, of corruption make the anarch of a gopher wood 
And here we are in a similar situation as in the days of Noah. We can see it happening, but what is the answer? The answer, brothers and sisters, is the ark of gopher wood, which is the ark of Jesus Christ, isn't it? And this is what I want to just expand upon a little. I think it was here I may have spoken about the plumb line of Zerubbabel. I think it was here. But I labor on that a lot because I can never get beyond the exactitude of God in his edicts. But everything is precision, isn't it? God's law is precise. We're going through quite a stormy time at work and we've had to produce uh, a document that is just to get out of something that is is proving a bit of a a headache for us. But it's costing us £450 an hour to get the lawyer to do it. And it's about 26 pages for one sentence that we want at the end of it. But it's got so many clauses of the ifs and buts and what ifs. This is God's law. That actually it's complete. It it covers every possible angle. And we see that in the building of the tabernacle. We see that in in the temple. We see that in Ezekiel's temple. We are reminded time and again of the cubit, of the plumb line, of the exactitude, of the detail. There is no latitude in the construction when God says something has to be done. Why? Because we can't actually understand why you need a badger skin. I'm sure Chrissy has a good answer for that, but I don't. But there are nuances of God's word which sometimes puzzle us But God has a reason for everything which we can't even understand. So rather than contest it, rather than question why the measurement should be thus, it is better to accept, is it not? To surrender, to hand over power and authority to to him. Zechariah 4.10 and 2.1, we talk about the man with the cubit and the plumb line, the superbabel. And these, I'm sure, are instrumental in the building of the ark. It is precise. Why is it a cubit short? I have no idea, but God does, and I'm not going to question that. It is complete. It is finished. It is precision. Something 500 feet long has to have certain buoyancy and certain exactitude to be to, to have its physics and its engineering for waves and everything else and we can't exactitude that but God can this is God's response to the mixture of the earth it's dramatic isn't it it is total destruction it's not just a seasonal flood that we see here a monsoon or a large swathe of land and you can escape there isn't anywhere to go to this is total total, complete, final destruction of all that he has created. Because judgment is final. Judgment is complete. When we come before the famous seat in in any form of judgment, it will be exact and for many devastating and final and complete. The, the flood is the judgment. But what is the ark? It's mercy. 
Are you going to be half buoyant? Are you going to be half dry? No, you're going to be totally saved, aren't you? You're going to be in the ark. It is total salvation. And note there is nothing in between. There's not a lifeboat to be flung over the edge for you to be buoyant but wet. You're either in or you're out. And that is the ark. Because God, Noah walked with God, God called him, come thou and thy family into the ark. It's not a directive, you have to, it's an invitation, come. God is a God of love to draw us to Christ. Come thou and all thy house into the ark. It's a statement of love. But the converse of that is so binary, isn't it? It's complete salvation. But unless we receive, it is total destruction. Luke seventeen twenty six. As in the days of Noah, so it shall be in the days of the Son of Man. Well, we don't know the time, do we? But in, 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 in Matthew 16.3, we are reminded, we look up at the clouds, red sky at night, shepherds delight, red sky in the morning, shepherds morning. Do you not see the signs? Do we not see the signs? I think yes has to be the answer, doesn't it? It has to be. We're looking at a world that is so bereft of sense, so full of fear, and yet we've slid We've given away our heritage. We have given away that which God has given us. One commentator suggested we're just bored of it. We've given away our heritage, opened the gates and invited anyone in. Anyone can come. I'm not talking immigration here. I'm just talking about any influence. Come. We really don't care. We really don't care. It's, it's the demise of a culture and the handing of the keys to an other. But when we are the Christian church, the, the bride of Christ in this country, we will not do that. We will not give away the keys of the kingdom. And this is why it is so important to stand firm when the waters of the flood are coming. Jude 11, woe unto them, they have gone the way of Cain. In this, in this few months, we've seen churches shut. I, I go to work and I, I, I'm always in the queue of traffic outside of a Baptist church and it has lights in the windows. Fortuitously, it's five windows, so there's J-E-S-U-S. And they're flashing all the time, but now the lights are off and there's a faded bit of paper that says all activities here are ceased indefinitely. Not even a phone number. Here are the keys. And God says, I'll have your candlestick. How can that church ever open again? And this is happening all over. All over. This is the sifting and the purging that is happening now God calling us into the ark because when we look up we see the clouds are gathering and when we see the clouds gathering even common sense tells you to get a coat 
But as Christians, to just feast on nonsense at this time is, is madness. We need to know what our ark looks like. We need to know its size. We need to know its entry. We need to know that the pitch on which it's covered is waterproof completely. There are no leaks and no gaps. God provides the answer before the solution, before the problem. When Jesus was being questioned how he could know Abraham, before Abraham was, I am. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Even before sin entered the world, the solution was there, manifest, waiting. The pregnancy of salvation, waiting to declare the character of God in his time. So beautiful. And then even things like in Gideon, that whittling down of the army to that 300, and that you think, well, why are they drinking in this way? The, the mechanics of that is difficult to understand, but the principle behind it is beautiful, isn't it? You could come with one person. I have already defeated them. It's all about trust. It's all about trust. And when we see the churches toppling and the delusion coming and the growth and the movement in the churches and the nonsense that is going on there, it's not important. It has to come, for we know the answer. The answer is there. I was given the books of C.H. McIntosh by a good friend sitting over there, which has been one of the greatest gifts I've ever had. How will we discern the times? And he wrote beautifully. It only needs a heart subject to the word and freed from the influence of preconceived opinions in order to understand the true character of the days preceding the coming of man. A heart subject to the word. Two things we need to do as Christians, brothers and sisters. One is to rightly discern the word of God and to spend time in it. Because better to know the word before you encounter the problem than encounter the problem and then have to go back to see what the word says. It's like going into battle thinking, oh, Christ, it's a little bit hot here, I'll go and get the armor. It doesn't work that way because when you turn, you get something in your back. But when we put on the full armor of God before the battle is enjoined, you're in a better place. Beautifully put, know what the word says. We need to get into the word. For the word is truth and truth is a person and the person is Jesus Christ. Spend time walking with the Lord, immersed in the word, soaked in the spirit. Then we walk out, and as Karl Barth, that early 20th century theologian said, had the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other, using the Bible to rightly discern what's happening in the world. We need to discern the times. It's our obligation. You can't not be aware of what's happening you can't. You need to know what AstraZeneca are up to. You need to know this. 
But you don't have to get your tinfoil hat on either. You need to rightly discern it in a sensible way, a cogent way. What must I do to be saved, the jailer said. Ironically, because he was in jail himself, wasn't he? And jail is the sin, isn't it? What must I do to be saved? We need to ask ourselves that. Never, never take it for granted. 1 Peter 1.5 Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Salvation comes by the Lord Jesus Christ and our faith in him and his propitiation of the sins of Calvary. Salvation is not in a vaccine, brothers and sisters, and yet I hear from a lot of Christians it is. It seems to be. When the vaccine comes, all will be well. And yet, as a doctor who's training in our practice said when I asked him, are you going to take a a vaccine? He's not a Christian. He said, only when I've genetically examined the, the offspring of two million people who have had it will I take a vaccine. Now, that isn't to say a vaccine is the wrong thing, but it's wisdom, isn't it? It's being sensible. It's not your salvation. Salvation is in the Lord. We come to the ark. Let, us, let the Lord shut us in. Pitched around by his security. Total salvation is in Christ, in nothing else. And this where I just I come to before I finish. When the Lord shuts us in, we need to come to him, but that covenantal promise is so final, it is so perfect, it is complete, it is finished, it is resolute, it is hardened, it is final, that as we allow him to enclose us in the ark of salvation through his son, we are secure in him. Amen to that. We cannot move away from that. We need to consider the sacrifice of Christ for, for, for us. And I know you might think, oh, I've heard this all before, you know, die at the cross. We must meditate on this day and night. Why? Because when we look in the Levitical law, the burnt offering, the burnt offering was complete. It wasn't shared. You didn't eat of it. The whole thing was flayed, cut in pieces, and completely burnt. That sacrifice was about as complete as it could be. It wasn't a superficial sacrifice, just a bit of scourging on the top. No, it was flayed. Flay means to you actually break the flesh down and then cut in pieces and then everything is burnt. That is Jesus Christ. His sacrifice was 100%. 100%. So no matter what size our sin is, what level of shame we feel, what hurt we have, whatever is going on in our life, that complete sacrifice has been paid for it. And whatever the enemy says is a lie from the pit of hell that says you are not redeemed of the blood of the Lamb. Jesus Christ is that ark. When the waters rose, 
and it got deeper and deeper and deeper. What happened to the ark? It rose higher and higher and higher. There was no portholes having a look down. The only thing he could see was through, where did the birds go? They went up through. So the only thing Noah could see was to keep his eyes up. He couldn't even see the waters, but he could see the firmament of God. Noah was shut in. And we read elsewhere in Matthew 25, 5.10, Revelation 3.7, I think it is, when, when the bride comes and the virgins are taken in, the key is shut. They hammer on the door, but they are not getting in, are they? And when the Lord opens something, he opens it, and no man can shut. And when he shuts it, no man can open it. When God acts in a sovereign way, there is nothing that we can do about it. He has his permissive will and he has his sovereign will. And when the flood came, that was his sovereign will. Enough was enough. And we read in Luke that things will continue until, that word is so important, until the Lord says enough is enough. And that sovereign act will come. And we don't know when. But we're looking at the signs of the times now. We need to prepare. Remember when Noah came out of the ark? We never hear of the ark after chapter 8 and 19. We never hear of the ark again. And yet it was such a foundationally important thing. But Noah built an altar unto the Lord. And what did he do? He had a burnt offering on it again comes back to that complete sacrifice of Christ. So just in summary, what, are, what am I saying? I'm saying that we need to discern the times, which I think the bulk of people by the very, and I thought the irony of your social distancing posters in this church is, is good. We're discerning the times. We're being sensible about guidelines. We're being sensible about the reality of the threat to the virus. It is a threat. I believe, to a number of people, and to a lot of people it's not. But we have to be wise and sensible and not cavalier and not proud. And we need to be aware of what the government says. And we need to decide where the courts of man end and the courts of God begin and where the boundaries are. And that is being wise, not hysterical, and not just punching the air because that's proud, it's rebellious, it's not a witness, I believe. So we need to be discerning of the times. We need to see what is coming down the line, both prophetically, but just in the world around us, in healthcare, in education, in politics. We need to see when movements are coming in. What is the basis of this? Is this something that actually I should be aware of? Should I appropriate it? Dig around, have a look. And Where is this group from? Are they Marxist? Are they occultic? There's something in there I need to find out about before I'm going to subscribe to it. Be discerning of the times. And how do we do that? Because we're rooted and grounded in the word of God. And then a step back beyond that, we're to be found in the ark of Jesus Christ. And we are sure on what the basis of our salvation is. And when we do that, we have absolutes. And in this world, we have absolutes. When the world has said there are no absolutes, everything is relative, everything is flexible, everything is fusion, everything is mixture, 
Everything is as in the days of Noah. And yet as Christians, we have absolutes. There are absolutes to attend to. Jesus Christ is absolute truth. So when we subscribe to absolute truth, we have the absolute answer. It's as simple as that. Discerning the world with wisdom, with compassion, with love, with sensitivity to those around us, to those within the church who are frightened. We're standing on the word of God and we're to be found in the ark of Jesus Christ, our surety and salvation. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word that truly is a light to our path and a lamp unto our feet. We give you thanks for your mercy that has rescued each and every one of us from the waters of judgment, of destruction. Lord God, you are mighty and you are awesome. Um, forgive us that we do not have reverence enough. Your word says that your wisdom is pure and then peaceable. And we want the purity of a, a wise fear of the living God to walk with you. Oh Lord, I pray that you would uh, anoint everyone here with your spirit to resist the enemy in these days of fear, crippling fear, of lies, of deceit, of deception. We pray for a spirit of conviction for each of us, Lord, that we would know what to repent of, to draw close to you, that you would lead us and guide us in these days. For we do not know when the Son of Man will, will, will come, but we pray for your hand to uphold us and keep us until you come. But Lord, as your word says, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come for your church, Lord. Oh Lord, we, we yearn to see you. We yearn to be with you. Place in our heart a, a heart of yearning after you, Lord. We don't want a cerebral, intellectual understanding of who you are. But we want to have a deep spiritual yearning to walk with you. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you. Bless your holy name. To you be all the glory, honor, and praise. Amen.